Welcome to Built Modular, a Vanguard Modular podcast. We'll help you discover just how flexible modular construction has become and how it is helping make life better for real people facing real space challenges. Hello and welcome to Built Modular, a Vanguard Modular Building Systems podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Today we're discussing why schools use varying sizes of modular classroom buildings, and we'll be diving into the pros and cons of large and small classrooms, what drives the decision-making process for schools, and the factors that should be taken into account when making this decision. So joining me today is Jody Werner. He is the Senior Vice President of Sales at Vanguard Modular Building Systems. Jody, great to talk to you today. Good morning, Tyler. Excited to be talking to you also. Absolutely. So, Jody, as we look at modular classrooms, what is the size range that these classrooms can come in? So, you know, what we primarily deal with at Vanguard is we deal with classrooms that can be anywhere from 700 uh, net square feet up to uh, 9,500 net square feet. And that's really, you know, one classroom uh, under a roof or 10 classrooms under a roof. You can increase the size of the classrooms, but then you're also using sprinkler systems as the uh, the buildings grow. And one of the things that we're seeing as far as a trend is concerned is uh, because of space, people are starting to go vertical with the classroom. So they're adding a story. Now, that's particularly interesting to me. I, I, I hadn't heard of that happening before, but is the primary difference between large and small classrooms simply the size or are there other differences like you're mentioning, you know, an added story, uh, things along those lines? I think there's a lot of things that drive the size of the the classroom. You know, you first look at the uh, the need of the the school. Uh, could be a private school, mm-hmm. could be a charter school, uh, could be a public school, a college or university. They have different programs that they're putting in place. Uh, they have different state regulations that they have to adhere to. You know, very small things like a Montessori school, for example, you have to have 40 square feet per child versus 20 square feet per child for a, a public school. So. There's a lot of things that come into play when you're talking about the the size of the classroom. I mean, it also gets back to um, the property. You know, how much space do they have to uh, to use on the property and fire separation from building the building? Budgets, that certainly comes into play because uh, we have uh, classrooms that, let's say, they cost $75 to $95 a square foot as far as our scope of work is concerned. But that doesn't take into account everything else that the school has to budget in order to put that classroom in. So uh, when you're looking at 10 classrooms under one roof versus six classrooms or let's say two classrooms, the larger the building, the more the cost and, you know, budgets are important <laughs> when it comes to making decisions. <laughs> sure. You, you mentioned some factors there that, that schools have to think through when it comes to making the right decision when it comes to the size of these modular classroom buildings. And so um, what are those primary factors? You, you mentioned budget, you mentioned uh, a, amount of space. Are there other factors to consider or are those kind of the primary driving factors in making this decision when it comes to size? Well, public schools, for example, they may have a requirement where it's 25 children uh, per classroom and they have to have a certain size requirement um, for the number of kids they're putting in there, the teacher they're putting in there, you know, what they're teaching the students. Uh, It could be uh, a lab environment, you know, versus just a a standard classroom environment like an English class. And if you have a lab environment, you're also going to have lab tables in there. So there's certain drivers that are going to increase that size of the classroom. Hmm. Um, you may have a private school again, such as a Montessori school, where uh, they have 
smaller classroom sizes, but it is a larger square foot requirement per child. And they want a larger classroom for their environment, which could be eight, eight to 900 square feet. So it really just depends on the school, you know, their philosophy as far as teaching is concerned. Um, again, getting back to state requirements, uh, some states may say you can put 25 kids in a 500 square foot classroom and it comes down to budget for a public school. Mm -hmm. They're going to give you a 500 square foot classroom, but you may go to, uh, you know, another state and their regulation is 900 square feet per classroom and they still have 25 children in that classroom. So uh, getting back to, uh, you know, state by state. Uh, it does vary. So would it be accurate to say then that there's not a one-size-fits-all solution? It's about evaluating what your particular needs are and what your desires are for the classroom and then, you know, making the correct decisions from there based on those types of factors? Yeah, I would certainly say that's the case. And then you're also looking at, um, you know, design requirements that uh, we're providing to uh, our customers or end users, prospects, um, we may be looking at a classroom that's 750 square feet and, you know, that's something that we market and that's something that's generally accepted by most uh, K through 12 schools. Uh, so they look at the classroom and they're looking for guidance from us at the same time where uh, they take a look at a 750 square foot classroom and say, geez, that size will work for us. This is great. You know, is there anybody else out there? Uh, where we can visit a classroom that you've put in. They take a look at the classroom, mm -hmm. uh, understand, you know, the uh, the size of the classroom. And sometimes that can be a driver at the same time. So when it comes to large and small classrooms, are there pros and cons to each particular size? And if so, kind of walk me through those pros and cons for, for both large and small classes. The, there are some pros and cons. And, and one of the pros and cons is with a smaller classroom, we can have it built and we can have it set up much quicker. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're also talking about uh, uh, 25 kids in, in one classroom, there's very little disturbance. The, uh, the teacher has control over the uh, uh, HVAC system. You know, much, much quieter environment. Uh, when you have a, a larger classroom, it takes us longer to get it built, get it installed, get it up and running. But at the same time, with the code requirements that you have to have these days, uh, it's still a very quiet environment for the kids because you're talking about a, uh, a classroom that has for the interior walls and sheetrock on either side of the wall with insulation in there. So it's, it's a very quiet environment at the same time, even though it's a larger classroom. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned regulation and, and some rules and things along those lines. Is, is that something that can also help be a determinant when it comes to the size of the classroom building that's going to work best? Are, are there code requirements and things along those lines that, that you also have to help you know, with in that guidance process? Yes and no. I mean, it, it's, it's, again, it's, it's driven by each state. And, and there's certain states who have a, a requirement for a, a particular classroom size. So, you know, think about a classroom that's, uh, let's say, 700 square feet per classroom, okay? And then you look at another state that dictates that that classroom has to be 900 square feet. Well, automatically, you're increasing the size of the building. Uh, you're increasing the cost of the building. And, and there's a lot of other factors that go into that at the same time uh, in terms of creating a larger building to ship, creating a larger building to to set up, creating a larger building to, you know, maintain as far as your operational costs are concerned. So the regulation uh, in each state tends to be similar, but there are some outliers where they, they have requirements as far as their education systems are concerned, where the classrooms have to, the classroom size has to be larger. Mm-hmm. 
So we, we've seen a lot recently um, about teachers and about educators really rethinking what the traditional classroom should should look like, right? For, for years and years, it was, you know, rows of desks uh, and students all sitting and facing a teacher who was, you know, teaching from the front of the class. But recently, you know, given uh, new technology and just changes in the way we think, there's been maybe a move towards more collaborative environments um, and, and things along those lines for students. And so have, have those changes in thinking uh, about what the ideal classroom setting looks like, has that had any impact on what schools expect from modular classrooms, whether it's you know more schools looking for larger spaces or just different, um, different things that, that educators are looking for in these modular buildings? Schools, organizations in general are very slow to change. And, uh, you know, one very small example that I can provide you with is uh, when, when I first got into the business, uh, teachers were still using chalkboards, okay? Mm-hmm. And then it went to marker boards. And now you're going to smart boards. Uh, but for the most part, the, the, the way that the, the classroom sizes are, that, ha- that has not changed very much in terms of one teacher for uh, 25 students. I mean, we get into situations where uh, it could be a county school, and that teacher may have up to 30 students in their classroom. Now, if you're lucky enough where you can send your child to a private school, you know, your student-teacher ratio may be different. Uh, they may be able to roll out technical advances in the classroom much quicker. But for the most part, uh, things are very slow to change. So I think it's it's fairly obvious that one of the major differences between large and small classroom buildings is that is that size. But what are some of those other differences that really set them apart from one another and maybe provides one an advantage over another in a particular setting? Well, you have a lot of schools that have customization. And the customization many times is a result of their campus and the aesthetics on their campus. So uh, they don't want something that's just, you know, plain Jane you know, they, they will put into uh, to, to lease or purchase. Um, they want something that also matches existing roof lines, uh, matches uh, existing exterior of buildings such as brick or stone. Uh, also on the interior, uh, a lot of times they're looking for uh, walls that are mud taped and painted once it gets on site. Uh, they want to put in hardwood floors. They want to put in laminate flooring. Uh, they want to have different lighting systems in there, more natural lighting in there for the children, you know, mm-hmm. larger windows. So just depending on the uh, customer's needs, um, the campus, there's there's a lot of customization that can take place on these buildings. But at the same time, um, you have a lot of schools who stick with just kind of a, a standard, you know, well-built uh, commercial code building. And we, we also build a lot of those for customers that we lease and sell. So you mentioned um, that that customization uh, ability that you have, whether it's you know the exterior, the flooring, things along those lines. Give me an idea of some of the various ways that these buildings can be customized to fit the the specific needs of a of a certain uh, school. Sure. So you know normally a building comes in with an eight foot ceiling. Uh, a lot of times you'll have a customer that wants a a nine foot ceiling. Uh, a lot of times you have as I said before, classrooms that require lab space, it could be chem labs, uh, you need fume hoods in there, you need exhaust systems mm-hmm. in there. Uh, so certainly that's that's part of the uh, the customization process. But really it's about the uh, the material that's used on the building 
and then our sales force guiding the customer with examples of previous projects that we've put in place that may have upgraded exteriors, such as, you know, the brick, such as the stone. There's also a very clean steel that can be put on the the outside of the building, which uh, to me is a little bit more of a, a European feature or something that you will see on a European building. That's interesting. So you, as the VP, as the senior VP of sales at Vanguard, you, I, I'm, I'm sure that you are in constant communication with, with clients and hearing uh, feedback from what they're looking for and, and what their particular needs are. What are some of the more common questions that you're getting these days that, that schools want answered when it comes to these modular classroom buildings? Well, the, uh, the first one is, what is it going to cost me? Mm-hmm. And that's a, a very difficult question to answer. So, we can, we can provide them with a cost on the building. Uh, we can provide them on a cost of uh, our basic scope of work to the building envelope. But then there's a lot of site development that has to take place. And that site development is driven by a site plan. Uh, that has to be submitted and approved by a municipality. Um, so they have to tie all those costs together. You know, another one is is timeline. Customers want to know, how long is this process going to take? Mm-hmm. Well, if it's a classroom, typically we're telling our customers, please have the building ordered no later than March. Because by the time that they get the, uh, the engineered building drawings from us and they work the plan review process and the permitting process and the building is built, you know, it's, it's June or July and schools typically open in August or September. So, mm-hmm. the, the guidance as far as how long it's going to take and the timeline is, is a big one also. So, Jody, if people are listening and they want to find more information on Vanguard and, and, and the products that you provide and the, the different options that are available to them, where can they go to find more information? Uh, they can go to our website at uh, www.vanguardmodular.com. We operate in almost 30 states, uh, from Maine to Florida, uh, Florida out to the Gulf, and then uh, up through the uh, the Midwest, uh, Ohio, uh, Indiana, Kentucky. So we're basically uh, an east of the Mississippi company. But we, uh, we certainly service a, a lot of areas uh, that are densely populated, especially along the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, head to vanguardmodular.com, like Jody said, for more information. Jody Warner, Senior Vice President of Sales at Vanguard Modular Building Systems. Jody, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Tyler. And everybody, thank you for joining along with us here on this episode of Built Modular. We appreciate it very much. For more, make sure you go subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to stay up to date with everything going on from Vanguard and their thought leadership in this space of modular building systems. And of course, we will be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.